Today is our eighth message in a series of messages on Ecclesiastes. We are almost done, so hold on, hold on, we're almost done. There's only 12 chapters all the way in, and so today we're at at chapter 8. And today, what we're going to look at is um, something, a a message that I'm entitled, uh, The Unjust World. And particularly, what does it mean to live in the unjust world? And so this message today is going to have three parts to it. And um, if you could, could you bring up that slide? That the unjust world, or living in the unjust world, there's going to be three parts. Fair, part two, unfair or unjust, and part three, God. Part one, fair, part two, unfair or unjust, and part three, God. And to dive into part one, I'm going to do some um, church participation here. So up here in the front, I have a donut. Um, It's a glazed donut. So full disclosure, just to let you know, it's sitting here on a plate. It's a whole donut, a whole donut. Okay, so um, I'm going to need two volunteers to come and help me with this next teaching illustration. And I need two people um, who, who like donuts, all right? And this, this illustration is for you. This, this donut has your name on it. I don't need two people. So I know there's some nervous laughter out there. Um, you won't really need to like speak or expound on Ecclesiastes chapter 8 at all. Um, you're just going to need to come up and be yourself and participate. So it's a little bit of courage. It takes a little bit of courage. But I just need you to be yourself and, and come in here. So um, I'm going to uh, do something that's always uncomfortable. I'm going to come down off the front and come down here. So um, can I have two volunteers? Okay, I see John dressed up like a bee. So John, do you want to volunteer? John, so come on up the front. Um, And I need one more person. I need one more person. Royal. Woo! Okay. You guys come on up here. Come on up here. Okay. So this is a donut. And here we've got John and Royal. And so um, you guys, I've got a donut here. And this is a donut for the both of you. Okay? And so what I'd like you to do, actually, um, is John... Uh, I'd like you to cut the donut mm-hmm. in half, mm-hmm. um, or you can cut it actually however you want to cut it. Um, there's a knife there, and then Royal, you get to pick first. Cool. <laughs> okay, so John, go for it. Okay. So John's made his first cut. Oh, and he's made his second cut—a bold maneuver. John, constantly the, the strategic thinker. So I don't know if you guys can see this. John um, elected to cut the donut such that there's about, I would say about 80% of the donut is in one portion. And about 20% of the donut, maybe even 10% of the donut is another portion. All right. So, Royal. All right. Your pick. You get to pick first. <laughs> If you pick the larger piece, then you're just, like, not being friendly. Now, now John just said, he's kind of, John's playing these little mind games. I love you, John. <laughs> John said, 
Royal, if you pick the larger piece, you're not being very friendly. <laughs> and so, Royal, I would just say, in all the grace and love that we have in Jesus Christ, you can pick whatever piece you want, <laughs> because we will love you. Think about your diabetes. So he's thinking about what he's going to do. All right. So Royal, go ahead and pick a piece, and then John, you pick the second piece. Go ahead. Royal, pick it up. Right. I'll give you five seconds. You got to pick it up in five seconds. All right? Let's count it down. Let's count it down. Royal. Five, four, three, two, one. Royal's taking the big piece. All right, John, you get the small piece. Here's some napkins. I'm going to share with him, though, the other part. All right, but Royal says I'm going to share with him the other part. Okay, thank you, guys. You guys can go ahead and head down. All right, you can take that back. You can, take, you can share it with you can share it with somebody. That's fine. All right. So what was I trying to do? <laughs> the donut dilemma, right? What are you trying to do? What am I trying to The point I'm trying to make is that at some level, we are all wired for fairness. If you did the donut dilemma with small children, with two kids, let me tell you what will happen. You have one kid who will slice that donut right down the middle. I mean, you could weigh it on an atomic scale, and those portions would be even. And if this one kid slices, and it's not even, he'll start shaving off to make it even. And then when the other kid picks, he's going to be looking at it and picking it up and weighing it, trying to figure out what is the bigger portion. What part do I get? What part is fair? And even these guys talking about it. Well, I'm going to split it. Even if I take the big part, I'm going spl to split it with you. We're wired for fairness. One of the most important things that I think as a teacher, if you ever have opportunity to teach kids or youth or even adults, yes, of course, you have to know the material. But what you hear over and over again as a teacher is that teacher was fair. Right? We all hated teachers that had particular favorites in the classroom. And I was even listening to a podcast about an engineering professor, and he shared about a time where he, his roommate had a candy bar, special, they were going to share it. His roommate pulls out a ruler, because they're engineering students, right? They pulled out a ruler, and he measures the chocolate bar to slice it in half. So at some deep, profound level, we're all wired for fairness. We know what's fair. We know what's good. We know what's right. That's fair. And then what we're going to look at in Ecclesiastes is how does the speaker, how does this teacher, how does he grapple with a world that's unfair and with a world that's unjust? Because he's searching for meaning. And you find meaning in a world that's fair. But when a world that's not fair or unjust, what do you do with that? And so with that, I'd like us to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And look at how he grapples with the dilemma of unfairness. And what we're going to do is we're going to be reading today out of the message. It's a um, translation that's been put together by Eugene Peterson, famous pastor. Um, but usually we read out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. But the reason I picked this particular version is because I think it creates greater clarity. But as I read this, you can, of course, follow along with your own Bible and see um, I think this sheds good light on what's going on here. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting at verse 10, and we'll go through verse 17. One time I saw wicked men given a solemn burial in holy ground. And when the people returned to the city, 
they delivered flowery eulogies. They spoke all these great words about this wicked man. And the very place where wicked acts were done by those very men. More hevel, indeed. This is smoke. This is meaningless. Why would, a good, why would good words get spoken over a wicked person? Verse 11. Because the sentence against evil deeds is so long in coming, people in general think that they can get away with murder. Even though a person sins and gets by with it hundreds of times throughout a long lifetime. This is what he comes to. I'm still convinced that the good life is reserved for the person who fears God, who lives reverently in his presence. We're going to come back to that. He's going to say, in all this injustice, I still think here's the good life, to fear God. Even the evil person will not experience a good life. No matter how many days he lives, they'll all be as flat and as colorless as a shadow because he doesn't fear God. So then here's some more injustice that he gets to. Here's something that happens all the time and makes no sense at all. Good people get what's coming to the wicked and bad people get what's coming to the good. I tell you, this makes no sense. It's hevel. It's meaningless. The injustice in the world is hevel. It's smoke. So I'm all for just going ahead and having a good time, the best possible, the good life. The only earthly good men and women can look forward to is to eat and drink well and have a good time. Compensation for the struggle for survival these few years God gives us on earth. When I determine to load up on wisdom and examine everything taking place on earth, I realize that if you keep your eyes open day and night without ever blinking, you'll still never figure out all the meaning of what God is doing on the earth. Search as hard as you like, you're not going to make sense of it. No matter how smart you are, you won't get to the bottom of it. Right? We search in the world We look for fairness, we look for justice, but we're surrounded by injustice. And so where he ends up is saying, so what do we do with that? We fear God. So the first part was part one, that we're wired for fairness. We have this sort of built-in desire for things that are fair. So then part two, which is what Ecclesiastes 8 is looking at, is injustice, injustice, unfairness. And he says, there's two things that I see. In Ecclesiastes 8.10, there's wicked men, but at the end of their life, good words are spoken over them. And perhaps you've been in a funeral service where you've seen this, or a memorial service, where people get up and they say all these flowery words about someone. If you know them, the darkness in their lives, or maybe wickedness or bad brokenness that you saw, you're like, how can people say that? Where's the justice in that? Where's the fairness in that? Ecclesiastes 8 also says, you know, there's all kinds of really good people out there, but they suffer all kinds of hardship or oppression or abuse. That's not fair. And people that are the worst people, how come they get all this benefit? How come they live in prosperity? How come they live in this big house? That's not fair at all. They got all their money by illegal means. And that's what Ecclesiastes is saying. What do we do when the world is unjust? It can feel paralyzing. When we see injustice, 
we don't know always how to respond. What do you say? Do you speak truth in love? Do you remain silent? I think when we see injustice, like what they see in Ecclesiastes, one of the big struggles that we run into is that it violates our moral compass. That's why we don't know what to do when we encounter injustice. We violate our moral, it violates our moral compass. The orientation to the world, to the fairness that we know, to the goodness, that is like true north. That is like true north on a compass. And we know and we orient to the world, to people, to work, to authority. But when we encounter injustice, we feel paralyzed. We don't quite know what to do. Have you ever been paralyzed by injustice or an experience of the unjust world? If you've ever suffered racism, you've ever suffered somebody that yelled something at you in an angry way, or you experience sort of racial injustice, it can be very paralyzing. You don't know what to do. Because all of a sudden, the normal way of working and operating gets flipped upside down. The whole moral compass gets violated. Maybe you've experienced gender inequality. Again, a time when there's injustice. Not because of anything that you did or achievement, but because, simply because of gender. There's all kinds of injustices that we experience. Unfair practices at work. Not because of the things that you did or your track record, but someone gets promoted over you or someone gets a position that you had been hoping for because of office politics. It's injustice. It happens all over in our relationships, at work, and certainly in the world. It happens in many, many places. People without power, oppressed and abused by people with power. Human trafficking, the rich and poor divide. Politics, internally displaced people groups, refugee communities. And so in different ways, we long for this justice because we know what's right. But we also have to navigate the unjust world when our moral compass gets thrown upside down. And so what does Ecclesiastes say? What does this guy say? In the midst of all this injustice, what is the good life? And for me, what I'm suggesting is what will orient our moral compass? And he says, fear God. He says, fear God. And it doesn't mean like to be afraid of God. It means to be in relationship with God, to live in a reverential understanding and experience of God's presence, to worship God, to abide with God, to stay in community and connection and relationship with God all the time. Because it's the relationship with God, the fear of God, the abiding with God that will anchor us in an unjust world. And that is what is good. That is the good life. The key verse in this passage is 12 and 13. Ecclesiastes 8, 12 and 13, which says this. Even though a person sins and gets by with it hundreds of times throughout a long life, I'm still convinced that the good life 
is reserved for the person who fears God, who lives reverentially in his, pre- in his presence, and that the evil person will not experience a good life. It's to fear God, to live in orientation to God with an abiding connection to God. Now, a spoiler alert for Ecclesiastes, in chapter 12, when our whole search for meaning gets all done, fear God, have relationship with God, abide with God. That's where he ends up. The whole book, the whole search for meaning, he ends with fear God. And see, that is what I think Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to understand. And here he gives us just a foreshadowing of that, a hint of that, to fear God, to live with an an abiding connection to God. Now, he's not the only one in the Bible that says this. Actually, Jesus himself says this to his closest friends in John chapter 15. To live in this close connection this close understanding of God all the time. Jesus uses an illustration that they would understand in the first century in the Middle East area. He talks about grapes and a vine and branches. And Jesus says this, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you unless you abide or remain or stay connected in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then Jesus goes on to say in John 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, if you fear God. Did you get that? If you keep my commandments, fear God, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I'd paraphrase that to say, I've spoken these things to you that you may have meaning, joy, true meaning in your life. And that's part three. God. The good life is fear God. A life oriented to God. To live with an abiding connection to God and to stay connected to God in the midst of an unjust world. Because how do we navigate an unjust world when the moral compass gets turned upside down? Like we're searching for fairness. When we get disoriented, that righteousness and that fairness can be found in our relationship with God. And did Jesus experience the unjust world? He certainly did. Jesus Christ was tortured 
just for sport. Jesus Christ was falsely accused. Jesus was mocked by the soldiers. He was abandoned by his friends. All all because he came to teach about what it is to have an abiding connection with God. To live every day with a fear of God, in God's commandments, to be connected. But not so that we would be afraid of God, so that we would live in God's love. And that we would know God's love in our life. And that we would live and share God's love in the world. And Jesus was killed for that. He suffered the greatest injustice that an unjust world could give him. So just in the summary of this message, it was in three parts. First part was fairness. We're all wired at some level for fairness. But the second part is that the world can be unjust. But how do we navigate that? Injustice in relationships, at work in the world. We orient and navigate by living the good life, which is to live in fear of God, in abiding connection to God, a relationship with God. Now, if this has kind of caused you to think about things at all, maybe in your own life, what do you do with injustice? Then what I suggest and what I want to offer for you at the very end, this is the last slide I've got, here are some thoughts. This message kind of sent me into this place for some further reflection. Maybe in your life group you can talk about it, or maybe with some people afterwards you can talk about this. Maybe you just want to think about this in your own life. Recall a time when you experienced unfairness or injustice. A time in your life where you experienced something that was unjust in the world. And then the second thing is once you have that that clear situation, the second question is, how did you respond? Was your sense of fairness violated? Did you have this visceral reaction like, oh, I'm so angry with that. I'm going to do something with that. Did you feel paralyzed? Was your moral compass thrown upside down? I don't know what to do. What should I do with this? How did you respond? And then for me, I'm always trying to see where is God in this? How can we grow as followers of God? So this last thing is this. Amidst an unjust world, the good life is to fear God. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying to us. In an unjust world, the good life is to stay connected with God, to live in God's commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. Is that good? Does that help you navigate injustice? And so for you, amidst an unjust world, the good life is to fear God. That's what Ecclesiastes says. Would you agree with that? Would you disagree with that? Or are you not sure? The search for meaning, to really live an authentic life, an an authentic life as a follower of Jesus, it is not easy. It is not easy. But growing, being mature, living a real life, switched on, engaging the world and engaging our God, 
It's hard. It's much easier if we just all sat around and ate donuts. But if we all just sat around and ate donuts, we wouldn't really grow. And my heart for us, besides eating donuts, is also that we would grow into maturity as a people of God. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you give us your word, not because it's easy, but because it's true. And I pray, God, that as we continue to grapple with what gives meaning to our lives, that even in the midst of injustice, that we might see you and be able to think critically and faithfully about how you want us to live. Thank you, God, for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.